So here we uh, have this uh, passage is part of the, um, uh, the, the preaching plan that uh, uh, Andy has and it, it has the title The Sinful Woman and a Righteous Man which is intriguing in itself. And uh, we're in the Gospel of Luke again which is a lovely uh, gospel because it paints pictures or it's written rather like, um, or the way I think of it, rather like a play. So today, um, we're in uh, scene two, if you like, because this is set in the second year of Jesus' uh, ministry. And um, we might say it's Act 21. If you went through and counted all the different incidents, you get to about 21 or so. But there we are. We have this lovely... Uh, picture of um, this incident that took place. I was having a conversation with Brad last week and we were thinking, you know, how privileged those people were who witnessed these events as they took place. To be an actual eyewitness to uh, what happened, to see what happened, to hear the words of the, of the Lord. But today, as we're here um, in a building, it resembles nothing like um, a house in uh, in Palestine in Bible times. It, the climate is nothing like. Uh, we don't dress the same. There's nothing we would think. But through the Holy Spirit, we have just exactly the same experience as those words have been read to us. As we as we have read uh, together. We too are just there. And we join the audience, if you like, as the <coughs> curtains open and we're told that they, uh, they were reclining at a table. Well, that's the way they ate in those days. Um, and if we looked, we see, well, who are these people? Well, clearly from their dress, there was Simon the Pharisee and maybe other Pharisees, his, his friends, whatever. We don't know those real rulers and teachers of the law. I thought it'd be interesting to think, uh, look for a moment at just what a Pharisee was. It's quite, not, not quite as simple as we might think. We all recall the uh, passage in Matthew where uh, the Lord sort of lays into them um, a little bit about their excessive observance of the law and about their putting uh, yokes on people and so on. But the Pharisees really, for the most part, were the the teachers, they were the religious people of the time. They were the good people of their day. Uh, this is uh, it's a lovely book, this. I don't know if any, yeah, perhaps some of you have seen these things. Tom Wright, he's a bishop. He's not an archbishop, but he's a bishop. Tom Wright. And he writes these books, uh, something for everyone. So there's a Matthew for everyone, a Mark for everyone, and a Luke for everyone. And it's a, they're lovely uh, books. You have the little reading and then a little something... And so if you like an alternative to daily readings, this, for example, would take you through the Gospel of uh, Luke. But at the back, he has little helps. So if there's a strange word being used, he uh, explains it. So this is what he says about the Pharisee. The Pharisees were an unofficial but powerful Jewish pressure group through most of the first century BC and AD. Largely led though including some priests, 
they're largely lay-led, sorry, though including some priests, their aim was to purify Israel through intensified observance of the Jewish law, what they refer to as the Torah, the first five books of Moses, developing their own traditions about the precise meaning and application of Scripture, their own patterns of prayer and other devotions, and their own calculations of the national hope. Though not all legal experts were Pharisees, most Pharisees were thus legal experts. And it goes on to um, uh, say about there were even different factions amongst uh, the Pharisees. But they, they were the, the good people, the religious people, the Bible scholars, the moral teachers of their day. And uh, Jesus is invited to the house of such a man uh, because of who he was. Simon refers to him later in the passage, you read it, as uh, a teacher. But of course, Jesus would have stood out. He wouldn't have looked like a Pharisee. He would have worn the, the clothes of um, the traveling, the itinerant, the poor uh, preacher and teacher that he was. We don't know what their conversation was about until um, the time when the uninvited uh, guest appears. In the day and age that that Jesus lived, this isn't quite as unusual as we might think. Um, It's not like us at home, you know, where we sit down to our meal and the door's locked or closed anyway, isn't it, you know. And maybe we've invited somebody, but we keep it within the, you know, the confines There were no locked doors in Jesus' day. Uh, People did come and go, friends, family, beggars even. That was quite the culture. That was the sort of the way of the thing. So the appearance of this lady was not um, perhaps so unusual. What of course was unusual was what she did. Many artists have tried, like with all these things, to capture this. So I thought we'd have a little picture today for you to look at. So if you're um, tired of looking here, by all means. Uh, the I picked that one because it's a drawing and because it is accurate. Many artists interpret these things the way they want, but there's a lot of significance in uh, what takes place there. And I want us this morning very much to look at these uh, characters of, of the lady, the unnamed woman, who was known to be a sinner. There's, there's no evidence to suggest that she was Mary Magdalene um, and this Pharisee called Simon. And what I want to share with you this morning is what I've seen in the passage, not what I've, although these are helpful, it's not what I've read in a book or um, although, you know, commentaries and uh, uh, books are, are really helpful. But as I read through this and uh, meditated upon it, what I saw here was a true act of worship. We talk really quite glibly sometimes about worship. Sometimes there's a sense in which we, it seems as if worship is something we turn on and off at will. The Lord tells us in John chapter 4, 24 that God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and 
in truth. So, some things to note about uh, this lady. And I say lady, woman sounds, you know, that's what Simon said, you know, if he didn't know who this woman was. But she's, you know, let's give her some uh, dignity here. She was a lady and she came prepared. That's the first thing I want us to note about this. She came prepared. She will have had to have purchased the box of ointment. We read that she discovered where Jesus was. Now you might think I'm being fanciful, fanciful, but I believe that she came weeping, that she brought her tears into that house. She didn't suddenly walk into the home and her demeanour change, you know, like you switch the light switch on. That's how she came. She brought her love, her repentance and her thanksgiving into that house. She brought it with her. No doubt from the story, she's had some experience in the past that preceded this. And uh, this is hinted at the story that Jesus subsequently told to Simon. So here's someone who out of her life experience of God, of the Lord Jesus, is compelled to come and undertake this act of worship. And as I thought about this, I felt very challenged myself. I wonder, I did come prepared this morning, of course I did, I can't stand here without having prepared, can I? But what about those other Sundays? Do I come prepared? Do I come with an offering? Or do I come, you know, just sort of waiting to be, I don't know, inspired, g'd up, cheered by a particular hymn? Yes, challenged by the word. But, you know, I don't think that's the way God looks to us for our worship. I have to confess to you, there are times when I've been neglectful. I've just sauntered in, expecting a blessing with nothing to give. No expression of my love because I've allowed all the business of the week, perhaps the things that have entertained me, perhaps the pursuit of my hobbies, etc., to crowd God out of my life. So I come in on a Sunday and I'm empty. I have to say, sometimes... That's how it begins. And God is good. And he blesses nevertheless. But I haven't had anything for him. The Lord, in another place, you know, he's talking about when people have fallen out. And he says, you can't bring your offering until you've sorted that out. But you see, the implication there is about being prepared, isn't it? About having something to bring. So that... The first challenge I saw in this was about what have I brought? And I'm talking here um, about our uh, public worship, as it were. What happens in our own times between us and the Lord? Well, that is between us and the Lord, isn't it? So the first thing then was she came prepared. To come, it cost her something. Yes, there was the material expense of the ointment, but also 
there was the embarrassment and the ridicule that she uh, undoubtedly faced and even the possibility of physical ejection from this house. I understand that letting down her hair in a public uh, setting uh, was not the act of a decent woman in the culture of the time. But you see, she had no towel to wipe the Lord's feet, so she used what she had, regardless of what the onlookers might think. Her worship cost her something. It wasn't an easy thing. I wonder, does it cost us anything? There's nobody prevents us coming today, does it? It costs us a bit of petrol, perhaps. A bit of time. I wonder, does it cost us anything? And thirdly, and perhaps most importantly, what we see here is that her worship was centred around the person of the Lord Jesus. That's why I said that picture is important, because it's accurate. Did you notice when we read that she came behind him? That was the extent of how she viewed the person of the Lord Jesus. She wasn't concerned as to what others might think. She wanted to worship and she wasn't going to be deterred. The Lord tells us in verse 47, as I put part of it up there, her sins, her many sins have been forgiven for she loved much. Sometimes here on a Sunday morning we, we sing that song that it's not a favourite of, of mine but it, the words do have some meaning we sing it's all about you do you remember that one well, it's easy to sing isn't it but that really is how it should be in our worship isn't it all about him but sometimes we have to confess I have to confess that our worship time is tainted with our personal preferences and wants So it's a challenge to us as to how we come to the Lord at times like this. You know, tears aren't always necessary, but sometimes they might be appropriate. It's not always necessary to be, you know, I'm not advocating a form of worship that is sort of doer and glum and thing, but I am advocating a form of worship that takes account of the person whom we've come to worship our creator God and the Lord Jesus his son himself that's what we've come we haven't come for one another it's good to be together of course it is and that's part of it and the things that we do for one another can be an act of worship of course they can but if we've lost sight of the person who's at the center of it all I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene if we lose that then we've just lost so much, haven't we? And we might speak about joy. And I love that song, The Joy of the Lord is My Strength. I love all that. Of course I do. But, you know, it won't be real. There's nothing real if we've lost sight of the person at the center of all this. And when she came, it wasn't to show the Lord what she could do. It was to give him her thanksgiving. It was to, in true humility, express all her love. 
That's the attitude that she brought into that room. When she broke the box of ointment, there would have been a savior. I remember years ago, I'll tell you this, I'll share you this story, another story. Sorry, I'm watching the clock. There's, um, but uh, I may have told you this before, if, in which case I apologize. But uh, there was um, uh, a church of the old sort, you know, they were all a bit doer there. And uh, a bit old fashioned. And this young lady came to, uh, she'd moved to the area to work, so she came to church. Well, she was okay, she wore a hat. That was all right. But she did wear perfume. And the older ladies in the church were a little bit scandalized about this, you see. And all the muttering started to go on and the like. So one day, one of the older brethren was delegated to speak to her about this. And her response was to say, well, I I am sorry, she said, but uh, you see, the thing is, is I've moved here to work in a perfume factory. We are who we are, aren't we? We bring that into this place. But we could bring it in as a perfume, as an offering uh, to God. There are things we must leave outside, of course. And I see in this that lovely uh, attitude of thankfulness. Um, Jill has a daily reading on, she's very high-tech, you know, on her, um, you know, phony thing. She listens to it. Joyce Mayer, and the other evening she was listening to it, and Joyce was talking. She's got an American accent, which uh, I can hear it coming through the things. And she was talking, and this is what she said we should have as we, in our daily lives, and certainly when we come to worship, an attitude of gratitude. If If you go away with nothing else this morning, go away with that, please. An attitude of gratitude. Gratitude to God for all that he has done for us. And that will bring out a response, won't it? Yes, it will. So, the sinful woman with her attitude of gratitude. Now, let's move on to Simon the Pharisee. It's clear he wasn't a follower of Jesus. He, he, he invited Jesus into his house. Uh, he refers to him as teacher... But he didn't afford him the courtesy of a guest. As we're reminded in the passage, he didn't wash his feet. He didn't greet him with a kiss. He didn't anoint him with oil. Why was Jesus there? Was it Simon's curiosity? Was Simon trying to catch him up? Well, what do we know from the story? Well, we know from the story, first of all, that he thought he was okay. That he was right. That he was justified before God by his adherence to the law. He was very quick to recognize the fault in others, but could see no fault in himself. Do you remember that story in Luke 17 that the Lord told of the Pharisee and the tax collector? We haven't got Andy's steps here today, but we could use it in reverse. Remember the, the Pharisee stood up on the steps there, raised his arms, Lord, I thank you that I'm not as this man. And he looks down there at the tax collector, head bent in the corner, tears of repentance. And the Lord reminds them that the one who was justified was not the Pharisee with all 
his uh, good works. I give a tenth of everything I have and so on. But it was the tax collector who was truly sorry for the deeds that he had done. He tried to catch Jesus out. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who is touching him. Of course, Jesus did know, didn't he? And he knew what Simon was thinking as well. You see, he missed the point. He saw the woman's sin, but not his own. She was forgiven, not because of washing Jesus' feet. That was an expression of her love, but because of her repentance and faith. Another little short incident. Back in, uh, when we were at Street, um, there was an elderly couple came to be part of our church, and there was a lovely old chap called Frank. Can't remember his other name now, but he'd suffered some strokes. But he was a bit of a Bible scholar. And I remember one evening we were around somebody's house and he, he asked a question. And he asked this question. Do you have to accept God's forgiveness to be forgiven? Well, I bet that would get the theologians going for a while. Do you have to accept God's forgiveness to be forgiven? You see, there is a sense in which we are forgiven. The heart of God is to forgive. But we need to acknowledge our need of forgiveness. In 2 Peter, we read this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The Lord is waiting. He's waiting, arms outstretched, for us to turn to him. Say we're sorry for our sins, to seek his forgiveness, to have them wiped away. When the Lord told the story, he said there were two debtors. Of course there were. There was the woman and Simon. I don't know if Simon got it. But that's what the story was saying. Maybe he only had a small debt, but he still needed forgiveness. God doesn't deal in large sins and small sins. Sin is sin. So, at the conclusion of the story... We uh, slide it. I thought, yeah, you can read that. It's good. The sinful woman and a righteous man. One is forgiven because she sought forgiveness. The other uh, sadly missed the point. I want us to conclude very uh, briefly this morning by just thinking a little bit about applying this to the day and age in which we live. We don't know how this ended for Simon. We suspected it was rather like Luke 18 and the rich young uh, ruler. You, I, I think that's... Uh, to, no, we've had that one. It was when we were away. In Matthew's account, it tells us that he went away sad. Perhaps some of the saddest words in Scripture. A man given the opportunity and he went away sad. We have being forgiven much and therefore should love much and that love should be a love that we show in our attitude to others not to be a Simon not to be a Pharisee not to judge people for their sin but to point them to a saviour in the day and age in which we live there's a great contrast really between the, the Lord's day and Hours, and yet in some ways there are lots of similarities 
In this day and age, this lady, a known sinner, the assumption is that it's um, uh, you know, sexual sin, adultery or uh, prostitution or, or whatever. In this uh, day and age, that lady perhaps would not have much to fear from society. There's a sense in which sometimes we shy away from speaking against what we know to be wrong. Because if we do, we're labelled as bigots. And we we don't show God's love. In this story, Jesus didn't condone her sin, but he forgave it because that is what she needed and what she wanted, what she sought. The way I see it is this. God's love doesn't excuse or condone any sin but it deals with the guilt, the shame and the consequences of that sin. In the day and age in which we live, things are not easy. It's a real challenge as to how we respond to a society that sometimes would seem to have no boundaries whatsoever. I don't know, you may not, you may not agree with that, but that's how I see it. No boundaries whatsoever. And in fact, there's a sense in which the tide very much turns against us. And as whereas in times past, the, the irreligious, the amoral, would have been seen as being in the wrong. Nowadays, we're in the wrong for standing against those things. A really difficult balance. There's sometimes a sense almost of absolutely refusing. Although they, they know it, they absolutely uh, refuse to accept the, what the Christian church and what we as individuals, I'm sure, try to say to people is that God hates the sin but loves the sinner. So it's a challenge to us, isn't it? It's a challenge to us about how we respond to the things we've uh, talked about this morning. Are we those perhaps that need to come in repentance and seek God's uh, forgiveness and turn uh, to the Lord? He's given us an answer in the person of his son Jesus who gave himself for us. Are we those perhaps who need to think again about our attitudes, the way we approach our church life and our worship? Perhaps we need to review our attitudes to others and to the world around us and to how we demonstrate to them the love of God without compromising on the things that are true and right. Love and truth go together. John writes about that. I've spoken about it here. But it's a really difficult thing for people uh, to catch. We're going to sing a hymn now to conclude. And uh, Jill chose this hymn. And I want us this morning to sing this hymn. Well, no, I can't say that. I would hope this morning that we're able to sing this hymn as a response to what we have seen in this story to what we have talked about together you see I believe worship is a response you have to have something to respond 
2. So there's a sense in which we're going to close our service with worship. I'm not going to pray at the end. This song is a prayer. At the end, it would be good to be quiet for just a moment or two. Uh, we have um, you know, the clock against this morning because we have our meeting after. I don't know what arrangements we've made about the coffee. Are we going to get coffee and come back? or Okay, however we're going to do it. But um, So here's our closing prayer, which we're going to sing together. I will offer up my life.